Hey, you're listening to Blindsight. Let's go. Mental health isn't something to take lightly. It's time to fight. It's time to thrive. Let's do this. Hello there. Welcome to Blindsight. I'm your host, Bill Lundgren, and I'm glad to have you listening in today. We're going to have a very special guest, uh, someone who has a multitude of things that have to do with uh, computers and also has a story to tell. Uh, and I'm going to ask James uh, if he would be kind enough to introduce himself because you have so many credentials, I couldn't follow them all. Welcome to Blindsight. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And yeah, I, I try my best to stay as busy as possible. So a um, lot of different moving parts. You certainly do. A lot of different moving parts, but um, it, it all really started when I was nine, when I was first diagnosed with Stargardt's disease. Um, so over the last 17 years, I'm 26 now. Over the last 17 years, I've been progressively losing my vision and I've had to adapt and change and, and figure out new strategies and techniques all the time. And, and in that world, I went through public school, I went through college, graduated with a bachelor's in business marketing, and about a year and a half into my professional career, I discovered the world of digital accessibility and decided to make the shift over. And since then, I've been helping individuals and businesses in, incorporate and build accessibility into everything they do. So providing training and education, helping with the auditing and remediation, basically anything that I can do to help an organization become more accessible in the digital landscape. That's what I do. And it doesn't matter from the list of companies, it doesn't matter what company I'm with, I'm still going to be doing accessibility regardless. And my goal is to provide the awareness, the education, the training needed so that organizations can can become become accessible and hopefully open up to a much larger audience and uh, potentially even uh, make an impact on that employment rate for persons and professionals with disabilities. So it's been a long journey, a lot of twists and turns and a lot of moving parts. And uh, looking back to 2018, when I first started my professional career, I wouldn't do anything differently. Great. Do you get a lot of pushback from industry regarding uh, accessibility? Uh, not, not necessarily pushback. It's more of just a, a lack of awareness. For a lot of mm. people that I engage with, it's their first time ever talking about it. Um, so there's okay. a lot of okay. there's a lot mm -hmm. of curiosities. There's a lot of questions that have to be answered. Um, and and when we go into like an organizational team, say a team of twenty, you have to make them care before you can teach them or train them. So there's a lot of upfront awareness to it, um, not necessarily pushback. Mm. Well, what you're doing is uh, not only making uh, companies accessible to the public, but I would imagine you're also breaking uh, ground for people to be involved in those companies, uh, people with with uh, disability issues. 
Absolutely. Everything that I do ties back to employment, inclusion, diversity, accessibility, regardless of what project I'm on, whether it's helping build a new website or helping with a social media campaign or um, internal payroll and time tracking and, and all of that kind of stuff. I have made it a point to make everything that I do accessibility as a part of that. Wow, that's that's great. Do you talk about your own disability? Yeah, um, as of lately, it hasn't always been that way. Um, there was a time where I wasn't okay telling people that I had a visual disability. But in the accessibility space, I have found a way to incorporate my own personal experiences, my lived experiences, to make the the trainings, the education, the conversations, all of that more valuable because it's coming from someone with that lived experience. It's coming from true, authentic, this is this is how it is. It's not, I'm not telling the story of someone else. It's coming directly from me to them. And, and so it's actually turned into an advantage in some ways having a disability being in this space and and people being able to see firsthand what magnification looks like what a screen reader like jaws or nvda sounds like it's it's a part of my day-to-day and getting to share that with people who have never seen heard or thought about it is is usually a pretty cool experience mm-hmm. is it a difficult experience for you to you know, be talking about yourself in those kinds of settings. Initially, it was I was I was not very comfortable. So when I was doing marketing before I got into all the accessibility stuff, I wouldn't tell somebody that I had a disability unless they asked about it. If if they would if I would get into the conversation and they would ask why is my screen so big or why do I sit so close to the screen, then I, I felt like I had to. But it sure. wasn't something that I was like openly telling people, hi, my name's James Warnkin. I have a visual disability. Um, I, I really tried to hide it. And it was there was a lot of factors that that led me to that decision of it was easier to just pretend like I didn't have a disability than to try to explain right. it to people. And so when I shifted into the accessibility space, one of my mentors asked me if I wanted to identify the problem or be the solution. And I couldn't be the solution that people needed without owning who I was and, and the disability is me and owning that and, and leveraging that in the work that I'm now doing. I had to get used to it. It wasn't easy at first joining a meeting and being the, the person with a disability that's going to lead them through their training. But practice makes perfect. You you tell enough people, it kind of becomes kind of your elevator pitch. And so a couple of years ago on social media, my bio was that I liked skateboarding and I liked video games and I liked technology. And now if you look at my Instagram or my LinkedIn or TikTok or YouTube, Legally Blind is the first thing that comes after my name. Mm. And so it's been this shift. And I now, looking back on it, realize that it was all imposter syndrome and, and me trying to pretend or hide or create this illusion of who I wanted to be without a disability and, and trying to hide that and protect against that as much as possible instead of leaning into it and, and really owning it. 
And in other words, people find out that you're, if you have a disability, they'll think less of you. Exactly. And, and that was always the concern in the professional environment was if I tell someone I'm blind, will they think that I'm not able to do the work or that I'm not right. able to do it as well as somebody who's sighted? And it, it always was terrifying. Um, wondering if, if my 100% was viewed as somebody else's 70%. And, and if I was going to be held to a lower standard, if I was going to be treated differently or looked at differently, it was always a concern that, that scared the hell out of me. And mm -hmm. after le learning about the accessibility space and, and working with companies like the Blind Institute of Technology and some of my mentors, I realized that it in this space, it's it's a necessary thing because if a person who doesn't have a disability tries to talk about accessibility it doesn't quite hit as hard as if as it does from somebody with a disability. It would be like me trying to to be a counselor to somebody who's going through anxiety or depression, never having had anxiety or depression and trying to help them. The the connection, the relationship just isn't as strong in that setting. And so it it is it's it's a weird dynamic, but it mm -hmm. it really is a a practice makes perfect. Repetition is the key. The more times you tell yourself something, the more you're going to believe it. The more times you tell other people about you and and who you truly are, the easier that becomes. The easier answering those questions or um, explaining. So what can you see to other people? The easier that becomes. The more times you do it. Well, in your business, it, it produces more relevance. Absolutely. It, and, you know, you, you can speak with authority. The problem is, for many of us, is getting to that point where we see it's actually an asset instead of a liability, because we're taught as a liability. Right. Right. I know my mother raised my sister and me. We have the same conditions that... Uh, started with hearing, and she said, you can hear, you just need to try harder. What a message that gives. Yeah, there there is a lot of additional effort that goes into it, but I think that's what makes it an asset, is like a, a person like myself or a person with a disability, we're constantly adapting, we're constantly innovating, we're constantly trying to find better solutions. We're not necessarily all settling. And if you can take that lived experience with you into the, the workforce or into your nine to five or into your job, as a person with a disability, sure, you might need an accommodation or two. But when you're integrated fully into that team and you're owning all of that that you've gone through and that you've lived and worked through, that's invaluable to a company. A, a person mm -hmm. who's willing to adapt and change and sort of move on a dime and, and make these changes, that's what companies are looking for. They're not looking for somebody that's going to get comfortable and want to stay in the same position for 25, 30 years anymore. They're looking for people who are going to drive that change, start those uncomfortable conversations and push things further because for a business, that that means more revenue. That means new products, new services, that means growth, that means scaling. And 
we we have to do it. We don't really get a choice whether or not we're going to do it or not. If we want to be independent, if we want to be successful, if we want to achieve our goals, we do ha- have to work a little bit harder than somebody that doesn't have yeah. a disability. Yeah, it's just a, a part of our lives, and it it is a huge asset once you learn how to leverage it properly. Well, see, the the issue that comes up constantly uh, in terms of my work with people with disabilities is the word shame. And and having people, having someone with a disability know that that's not anything to be ashamed of. It's actually, in many ways, it's something to celebrate that you overcome or you're able to do the things you want to do despite all other thing, other people around you may think, oh, that will prevent uh, him or her from being able to achieve. Yeah, and, and, and the advice I give to the, the colleagues, the friends of mine that, that have disabilities that are looking for employment is if, if you get into a conversation and you start to feel bad because of your disability or, or ashamed that you have a disability or that person doesn't seem like they're fully comprehending the scope or they're not willing to budge on an accommodation, that that's not necessarily a bad reflection on you. That's a, a reflection that that's not a company or a, a team that you want to be a part of because they're right. not they're not diverse. They're not inclusive. They're not open to those conversations or those accommodations or having somebody on their team with a disability. And quite frankly, that's not a place I would want to work. And that's not a place I would want to tell my friends or colleagues to work. Uh, You have to push and fight and scratch and claw your way just to get a screen reader or to get an accommodation in in the work environment. There, There are so many other companies out there. There are so many opportunities in 2023 that are out there. You can carve your own path on social media. You can go start your own business with 50 bucks. You can do so many different things. You don't have to settle with a company and a culture that's not accepting of, of who you are as a person, whether you have a disability or not. That's quite a powerful statement for you to, to make. To, but it's, it's so difficult sometimes for people to get to that point of accepting their own disability, especially with people around them that say, oh, you poor baby, or no, don't try, you know, it's too hard to to work, we'll put, you know, we'll do something, you don't have to work. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm too stubborn for that. So when I was growing up, I my eye doctors, my parents, my friends, like they all tried that. Um, don't skateboard, it's too dangerous. You can't play basketball because what if somebody throws the ball and you don't see it coming? Like, I, I got all of that. I just didn't listen to it. Um, I, I said, well, I'm, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to show you that I can. I'll find a way to to play basketball. And for me, that was being the person that brought the ball up the court and distributing it to the other four teammates. When it came to skateboarding, I, I figured out that I needed to feel and, and walk the skate park before I even stepped on a skateboard so that I understood the transition of the ramps and how mm. high things were off the ground. So people telling you you can't or you shouldn't or or, or whatever that that storyline is, you, you don't always have to listen to them. I've been skateboarding for 11 years and I'm I got to be pretty good at it compared to the, the people that I hang out with. And so 
it like like I said at the beginning, it's practice makes perfect. It's repetition and proving people wrong has become a part of me and, and sort of trying to break that stigma of my 100% is not your 70%. My 100% is your 110%. I'm going to do it just as good, if not better than anybody else that, that you're comparing me to. Whether that's in my personal life or my professional life, I'm always head down, relentless trying to 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 reach that next goal or to achieve that next milestone, regardless of the outside factors or the external factors. And it, it's learned. You, you don't just wake up one morning and say, I'm not going to listen to you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not telling a blind person to go drive a car, but I'm I'm saying when it when it's within reason and it's something that you truly want to do, you're passionate about. There, nobody can stop you or hold you back. Nobody can tell you yes or no. You are an individual. You do have your own freedom of choice to to do what you want and make your own decisions. Um, falling in into that that sense of you you have to accept it or you have to to listen or follow the guidelines or else you're going to lose your benefits from the government. Right. Mm-hmm. Whatever that looks like. When when I was first getting into my professional career, I I had two opportunities on the table for where I wanted to go to work. One of them was a small local startup, and the other one was an established marketing agency. The, the agency was offering a salary. It was a very stable, reliable position. My mentors, my mom, my fiance, all were telling me to take that salary position. Yeah. I chose the startup. And if I hadn't have chosen that startup and gone against what everybody was telling me I should do, I wouldn't be in the accessibility space. I wouldn't be on right. this podcast. I wouldn't be delivering trainings to international companies. My entire life would be completely different if I had just accepted what everybody else was telling me to do. And where I'm at today, I wouldn't trade it for any other career path. Had you said earlier, you're a stubborn guy. Very, very and, stubborn. <laughs> yeah, and that makes all the difference in the world. I know they talk about in the uh, blindness movement, they talk about uh, you can do anything you want to do. You just need to do it differently. And I think that makes uh, a lot of sense, but a lot of people get real scared of that because uh, people don't like to take risk. Yeah. Well, and and that was the hardest thing for me to learn as I stepped into the accessibility space was um, I have my own personal preferences. I have the way I like to do things. I love technology, anything to do with it. I'm I'm fascinated by, but I have a younger brother who has the same visual impairment as I do. He doesn't really like technology. So it it goes beyond the disability in 100% of cases to personal preferences and characteristics mm-hmm. and and your the things that turn you on yeah exactly and so like i had to learn that when i was working with companies and consulting and, and working on websites and applications and things like that that it's it's not necessarily a matter of finding a single solution that's going to work for everybody but it's designing and figuring out ways to do things that will allow everybody to adapt it to fit their preferences and their needs and and what they want. 
And and it's the same thing with how we approach things. Not everybody likes to take risks, but you can make small incremental changes over a period of time. And that compounds if you do it one day versus doing it 10 days, that you have to be intentional with it. If you don't like jumping into the water head first, you can you can dip your foot in and, and feel how hot or cold the water is. You can take those steps towards a bigger change. It doesn't have to be overnight. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. And and I think a lot of people assume and, and think that it is it's it's all or nothing. And when when you can design a plan of I'm here, I want to be here, and here's the one step that I'm going to take, the five steps, the 150 steps. But regardless of how many steps it takes, I'm going to get there. And how do you take care of yourself, yourself, in this kind of situation? Because what you're describing is somebody who's really driven to do. But at the same time, uh, I'm assuming, I hope, one of the things you said was about skateboarding, and I wonder if anything, you know, if you had any mishaps with it. Oh, in absolutely. which case, it, you know, we're talking about self-care while you're moving forward. Because oh. if you're moving forward and not taking care of yourself, then uh, all bets are off. Right. Well, and, and I said at the beginning of the episode, I'm relentless, but I'm relentless in a semi-reasonable way. I know I'm a little bit a little bit crazy or a little bit off, but um I, I absolutely I've had multiple concussions from skateboarding. And and really um I've had multiple setbacks in my professional career where things didn't go the way I wanted to, but I took the time that I needed to recover from the concussion. I took the time to reflect uh in the professional setbacks and and figure out Okay, I, I had my my ten steps. This was a, a little bit of a hiccup. It's slowing me down a little bit, six weeks to recover from a concussion, but I'm not gonna not get back on my skateboard. The next time I do this or or do something that led to that hiccup or that setback or that injury, the next time I'm in a scenario like that, what am I gonna do differently to prevent mm-hmm. to prevent that? And so this year was really I've really focused on my personal health and well-being with getting a better diet and getting into a gym routine, um, getting all of these healthy habits built in because I'm a workaholic. I work fifty to seventy hours a week, and so That's what I thought I, I was starting to feel like I wasn't taking care of myself, like I wasn't um, giving my my personal self the attention that I deserve. So I, I intentionally worked with a trainer five days a week, two hours in the middle of the afternoon to break mm. up my workday, to, to do something physical like working out. I talked with my fiance and, and said, I need to plan lunches for the week so that I'm not sitting here eating a bag of Doritos for lunch and calling that a meal. Um, it was very intentional, but it's now 10 months later and I've, I've, went from a a rather small skinny kid i've put on 23 pounds this year and my energy levels are higher i feel way better it was all just intentional effort that was planned and and me having the the determination and the awareness to say i need to make a change because 
I'm 26 now, but if I keep doing this for the next 15 years, I'm not going to be very healthy at 40. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I like to plan. I like to organize. And I think that's a, a learned skill set from my visual disability is I can't wake up and just go with the wind. Every, like I can't just jump in my car and drive. I have to plan transportation. I have to plan how long I'm going to be there and who's picking me up. I have to there's a lot of planning and organization that, that has to go into my day. So I've just applied that to the rest of my life. And when something isn't going right, just take a step back and say, okay, what's going on? What's wrong? What can I do differently? And what can I do to fix it? And so I'm constantly evaluating and trying to find different ways of doing things. And with work, specifically working so many hours, I, I do get burned out. I do mm -hmm. wake up some mornings and I'm like, man, all I'm going to do all day today is work. I'm not going to get to to play with my dogs or watch anime or do anything that I actually want to do. So what can I do about that? And I, I started planning my entire week out and restricting how many times I said yes to side projects. Ah, there you go. I, I started mm -hmm. setting my boundaries and setting my my limits and I've, I've learned new skills in my free time and and I've continued to work and improve. It's not technically work, but it's leading to positive aspects of my my entire life. So so what I hear is that you've been very reflective of you rather than what other people think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I And at this point, three years ago, what other people thought about me was most of my worry. Now in 2023, I don't really care what people think. I've kind of gotten past that point to where no, if I say something, it's because I mean it. I've, I've gotten to that point where if I say something, it's because I mean it. If I do something, it's because I want to do it. And like going back to like the, the imposter syndrome, I learned how to use a cane. I learned how to read and write in Braille when I was first diagnosed. Up really? until up until January of this year, I didn't own a cane. And now every time I leave my house, I take my book bag that has my my laptop and my iPad in it. But also in my book bag is my white cane. If I, mm. if, I if I'm in an environment that I'm unfamiliar with and I don't have anybody around me, I can pull that out and identify to everyone around me. Hey, I have a visual disability. If I um, if I ask for help, that's why. And so for me, it's not about using the cane for mobility purposes. It's more about using it as an identification tool right. mm -hmm. to people around me in an unfamiliar environment. But I'd never leave my house without it, that whether I'm going to the grocery store or I'm going to a business meeting or wherever I'm going, it's, it's always with me. You know, I don't know whether this is uh, true for you, but I know for a lot of people, because we're males, there's certain expectations of how we're supposed to be. You know, the rough and tough guy that can handle anything and doesn't need any help and, does, and is not supposed to ask other people for help. And that certainly for me and for a lot of people, that's one of the toughest things that we have to get past in order to get the things that we need to, to face reality, so to speak. Am I making sense? Yeah, uh, well, I, I know, definitely, definitely can, can relate to that. I am rough and tough. I don't like asking for help. I don't like handouts. Um, 
I, I, I can completely relate to that. And for the most part, I will try to, to, I'll try to figure it out myself before I'll ask for help. But mm-hmm. I've gotten to a point where if I, if the help is truly needed, nobody's going to like the, what the worst they're going to say is no. Yeah. Like, like that, like literally, and you'll hear that from any professional mentor from anyone you talk to about any part of life, you're asking for a raise, you're asking for a a new position, you're applying for a job, the worst anyone is ever going to tell you is no. And so you might as well try. And if you need help, or you need assistance, or you need something, ask, the worst they're going to say is no. And I've been told no, thousands of times, and I'm only 26. But it's because I'm not afraid to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think getting to that point of not being afraid to ask is, is just like everything else that I've talked about. It's, it's intentional, it's practice, it's getting comfortable talking and, and telling your story and getting, getting it to a point where people understand and, and you don't have to make every person care or walk a mile in your shoes, but if you can present it in a way that people understand of, Hey, I, I need to get to this meeting. Could you, um, run me downtown for this meeting? I don't need picked up. I don't need it. I just need dropped off. And, and, and most people are like, yeah, sure. I don't have anything going on or no, I have a meeting at that time. Sorry. I'm, I'm getting off the phone, calling the next person. Um, it, it's just kind of, uh, a practiced habit of, of being okay hearing the word no and and being okay with that and 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 i can talk with all the confidence in the world but there are days there are situations where i do fall back into that of of feeling bad for myself or if if i wasn't legally blind if i didn't have a visual impairment how much quote unquote better life would be how much easier things would be but but those are all temporary like I I don't I I don't allow myself to stay in that mental state for for too long, and so like I I forget who said it, but there was a quote um, from one of the the famous influencers of if it's not going to matter in five years, don't worry about it for more than five minutes. <laughs> um, and 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 I've I've really taken that personal of like I schedule a, a business meeting. And I don't have a way to get there and I have to call and cancel it for about five minutes. I'm like, man, that this sucks. If I could have just gotten the car and drove myself there okay. would have been all good. I wouldn't have had to cancel this meeting. I would have been uh, there. I might have even closed the deal, whatever that might look like. But five minutes later, and, and this is part of the reason I keep myself so busy all the time is so I don't sit on the couch and think about it for an hour is is because if if I didn't have more things to do if I didn't have more things going on I I probably would sit there for a couple hours and feel bad for myself but mm-hmm. I have to I've I've organized my days in a way where there's always something to be done always something to do that doesn't allow me to fall into that state for more than 5 minutes you know uh James I was really excited when I heard what you said about the five-minute rule, because so often people absolutely uh, obsess forever, and you can't get them off it. 
And, you know, the brain, you have two parts to the brain. One is the emotional side, and then the other part of the brain is the logic side. And you validated your emotion when something didn't work out, but you then, you know, brought in the logic side and said, five minutes is enough. I have other, you know, as a friend of mine would say, I've got... uh, bigger fish to fry, uh, and you go on to other things. So you allow yourself to feel the emotion and not deny it, but then say, okay, that's enough. And I think that's great. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely um, something that you have to, to force yourself to do. But at the same time, like, for me, it was um, very heavily rooted in, like, what motivates and what drives me and so Mm -hmm. i i figured out where i'm at and where i want to be and um sitting here and doing nothing besides feeling bad for myself isn't moving me any further in the direction i want to go and so that's right um whenever i talk to somebody who's who's in that state where they're um just kind of feeling bad for themselves or they're down on their luck or whatever that looks like i always ask them well what, where do you want to be in, in five years in 10 years? And mm. then it then it starts the conversation of are is, is what you're doing right now helping you to get to that point? Yes or no. And, um, it's a very easy question because usually it's a no. And then, and then you ask, well, what could you be doing? And that, what, what could you be doing turns into what you should be doing and what you are doing and then you're on that path of incremental improvement or, or continuous growth until you get to that point. So I'm, I'm 26 right now, and I, I, I know where I want to be next year. I know where I want to be when I'm 30, when I'm 35. And beyond that point, I, I really don't know what it looks like. Um, I, I just know where I'm at now is way further than where I started when I was nine years old, when I was diagnosed, when I was 18, fresh out of high school, when I was, um, 22 graduating college in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and, and where I'm at now is nowhere near where I was at then. Um, and that's, yeah, that's the validation that I needed. And I, I know my motives. That's terrific. That's terrific. Uh, do you do, uh, the, uh, uh, yoga type meditation or anything like that to uh, help you stay healthy and centered? Um, I, I used to pretty consistently, um, just different types mm-hmm. of breathing techniques. Um, right. But now it's, it's less and less common uh, for me to do it because I've um, gotten pretty good control over my anxieties and my stress factors. Um, to where okay. unless I'm having a really rough day or I'm feeling overwhelmed or overly stressed out, mm-hmm. um, I'll take 10 minutes and put myself in a dark, quiet room. And um, the breathing technique that I did was um, counting your breaths. And, and right. so it mm-hmm. forces your brain to stop thinking about anything other than inhale, one, two, three, hold, one, two, three, exhale, one, two, three. Um, and, and it's, it's actually like a very crazy sensation once you figure out like how to do it properly and how long it takes you to calm down. 
because it, it's yeah. almost mm-hmm. like it's almost like waking up from a like a power nap. Um, yeah, it's 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 bizarre, mm-hmm. and like I've done it in the middle of a hotel room. I've done it in my living room in my house. I've done it at my mom's house. Like all you need to do is, is separate for ten minutes, focus on right. your breathing, and um, come back to it one hundred and ten percent. Yep, settle down, settle down. And you see what, in listening to you, I see someone who's very active, but he's also paying paying attention and taking care of himself, and I have to applaud you for that. Yeah, I, I hate sleep. Um, sleep is my enemy um, because oh. I, I feel like sleep is somewhat of a waste of time. If you're sleeping too much, you're not doing enough. Uh, so mm-hmm. I always try to get the most out of when I'm awake and I'll usually go until I crash and Mm -hmm. um, wake up when I either have to because of a meeting or when I naturally will wake up. Oh, I see. Okay. We talk about Thomas Edison. He never, he never slept. He would do exactly what you're talking about, nap when he needed to. Of course, my grandfather was one of his attorneys and my grandfather said he was one of the most disagreeable people he ever met with. But, uh, you know, but it worked for him and it's working for you in terms of, OK, I sleep when I need it. And at the same time, I keep my eye on, on moving forward. Right. Yeah. I yeah. try not to get more than like six, seven hours at a time. So uh, that's at, at 26, that's, good, that's 26. That's really all you need. <laughs> right. That was what I was just going to say. You're not denying yourself sleep. You're just tailoring it to uh, to what you need. And as you said, the, the awkward word you used was <clears throat> too much. And six and seven, it's about right for uh, for your age. Yeah. And, and people call yeah. me crazy because I'm a night owl. I love when the house is dark and quiet and I can just oh. kind of zone in on, on what I'm working on or whatever project that is. And, um, most nights I'm, I'm going until about 2 AM or so, and then back mm. up between eight and nine, ready to go and, and take over the day. Oh, wow. Well, I can't train my dog to, uh, to, uh, uh, wait until much later in the day to wake up. He gets me up at four, so I got to get myself to bed early. But anyway, enough about me. I have two, I have I, two lazy dogs. They love sleep. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, what I wanted to do, you know, we're coming to the end of this program. I'm delighted to have had you on the program today. But I wanted to leave you an opportunity to get, if you will, to give out your contact information for any businesses that may want to uh, contact you for uh, find out more about your services and to uh, uh, to investigate their use of you in uh, in their program. Would you be willing to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my personal website is just my first and last name, jameswarnkin.com. Email address is james at jameswarnkin.com. Um, and, and for anybody that wants to, to reach out on an, a personal level or an individual level, all of my socials um, are the same. The Apex Chaser, T-H-E-A-P-E-X-C-H-A-S-E-R. 
Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, wherever you're at. Um, you can you can look me up, send me a message. I'm I'm always happy to have a conversation. Great, great. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on, and I hope that uh, maybe we'll find another time, another way and time to have you back on. And I wish you the best. And I sign off to uh, the audience and thank you for being here. Uh, we look forward to uh, uh, being in touch next time. This is Bill Lundgren, host of Blindsight, and we wish you all a good week. Mm-hmm.